Welcome to the VBAC Link podcast. We are a team of expert doulas trained in supporting VBAC, have had VBACs of our own, and work extensively with VBAC women and their providers. We are here to provide detailed VBAC and cesarean prevention stories and facts in a simple, consolidated format. When we were moms preparing to VBAC, it was stories and information like we will be sharing in this podcast that helped fine-tune our intuition and build confidence in our birth preparations. We hope this does the same for you. To hear more about us and to hear our individual VBAC stories, be sure to check out episodes one, two, and three. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Hi, I'm Julie, and today in episode five, we are going to be hearing from my good friend Cassandra, who had a C-section birth with twins and went on to have two feedbacks. Cassandra, I think my favorite part of your story was hearing you tell me about the doctor barking out military commands from across the operating room table. Will you make sure to include that when you tell us your story? Because that's the best. (laughs) Absolutely. He's lucky he was able to walk out of that room. (laughs) So I got pregnant with twins. It was totally unplanned and unexpected. And we found out... And I started researching um, home birth and birth centers and unmedicated birth and specifically hypnobirthing. But then when we went in for our ultrasound, gender ultrasound, they saw that baby A was breech and said, well, that's it. So they scheduled me from a cesarean from that point on. (laughs) So I didn't even know that there were options to turn babies or anything. And so I thought that a cesarean would be the easy way out. I wouldn't have to deal with childbirth. And, oh, they give you pain pills and you don't feel a thing. (laughs) So I was super excited for that. Um, I went on to have my cesarean. I remember just being so exhausted because my husband really wanted to have one last date with the two of us the night before, and we went to a really late showing of, I'm pretty sure it was a Batman movie, but don't quote me on it. (laughs) And so when I went to the appointment in the morning, I could barely keep my eyes open. And I was scared out of my mind. And so my mom was with me, my husband was with me, and the anesthesiologist comes in, to do the spinal and I am shaking so bad that he stops and pulls out. He's like, I haven't even touched you yet. Have I hurt you? What did I do? <laughs> I felt oh so my bad. Gosh. I was like, no, it's all right. I'm just freaking out like a chihuahua. So, and meanwhile, <laughs> my mom's sitting behind me watching it all. She's like, this is the coolest thing I've ever gotten to see. I'm like, I want to kick her out of the room because she is way too excited. So we go in for the cesarean, and my husband's all scrubbed up. I remember the yellow scrub dress thing, Bob, they give you, and the green hat, and him kneeling down next to me and talking to me. And I remember the anesthesiologist was super sweet. 
he, I could tell he was trying to um, relax me and make me more comfortable. And so he started asking me what my favorite songs were and, he, and my groups. And honestly, I was so nervous. I couldn't think of anything. I had no idea. It was like I had never listened to music before in my life as far as I was concerned. And he asked me if I had names for the baby. So I told him that, our, that baby A would be named Delilah. And he said, oh, my goodness. I know a song. I think it's called Delilah by Tom Jones. Is that is that the song that you know? I'm like, I don't know. But in reality, she's named after Plain White Tees, Hey There Delilah. But of course, at that time, it wasn't in my mind. And so he's like, well, I can pull it up on my phone. You want to listen to that while she's born? I was like, sure, why not? So Tom Jones, some Delilah song. And an awkward silence descended over the entire OR as... Tom Jones began singing about the other woman. Thank <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yay. And I don't know why neither my husband and I said, you know what, we're cool without music, and, but we just kept going. So that song kept playing. And then as we started to get going, the OB, um, he said, I believe it was ready on the left, ready on the right. And then my husband burst out laughing. And the OB stopped and said, oh, do we have a military man in the room here? And I remember rolling my eyes as I'm lying there on the table, shivering because I'm super cold and nervous, as he starts saying, oh, well, I was in the Marine Corps. And he's like, oh, well, I was in the Army. And they start laughing and trading war stories back and forth over my abdomen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was not our finest moment. I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember at one point yanking him and being like, You're done. So he was super sweet and he knelt down after that and entirely focused on me. But I was really frustrated with the fact that my OB kept talking to my husband instead of to me. I was the one he was performing the surgery on and yet it seemed like pulling teeth trying to get him to give me directions or tell me what was happening with the baby. Instead, he kept telling my husband what to do to manage me. And oh, that... heck no. <laughs> right? So right? Oh, oh, heck oh my no. gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. So, crazy. yeah. It, so, anyway, the... OB continued and Delilah was born and I remember being I was still so exhausted and barely able to keep my eyes open so I looked up there she was and I I remember thinking in my head yay she's born let's move on to the next before I fall asleep <laughs> and then they pulled out the next and that one was Porter and they took him over and at that point my husband went over with the twins and I was alone, and they had to take the twins over to the NICU. They were having some breathing issues. And so he went with them. So it was just me and then a physiologist who apparently learned his lesson after that awkward song and instead just put on random Pandora, and I was very grateful. And after that, they wheeled me into the NICU. I was able to kind of wave at my babies. And I remember 
being so surprised um, at just all the little cords coming out of them and what was going on and the CPAP machine. Like, I didn't know that C-section babies, you know, they were more likely to need a CPAP. And so we went into mother baby and I kept falling asleep. That, that was so hard for me because I remember the nurse had it on the board. These are the side effects of your medication and sleepiness was one of them. And I kept falling asleep. And so then when I finally told her, she said, well, I told you that was one of the side effects. Why didn't you tell me? Because I, I was asleep. <laughs> and, so, and, you know, I was just having reactions to medication. And I kept trying to ask the nurses, what should I be doing? What should I be doing to make my recovery easier or better? And they said, oh, do whatever you want. And it was so hard. I felt like they were trying to mother me and be really kind and sweet and gentle with me. But instead, I needed somebody to treat me like an adult. I needed somebody to tell me, this is what will help you. This is what we need you to do. This is what you need to do in order to go home. And I was really frustrated with that. And so when by the end of the day, I finally had a nurse come in who was like, hey, what are you doing in bed? Get out. Go get in the shower. I was like, thank you. <laughs> somebody <laughs> who can tell it straight. Seriously. But, so Delilah was in the NICU for an hour, and then she was brought to me and mother baby, and she was, as a twin, 6 pounds 11 ounces. It's pretty impressive. Wow. And then Porter, he, it was another four hours before I saw him. Oh my and gosh. so they were finally able to bring him in, and it was still kind of touch and go just because of his blood sugar issues. I had uncontrolled gestational diabetes, which is a whole different story. But honestly, anytime anyone's like, I have gestational diabetes, what should I do? I was like, well, let me tell you what I did, and now you can do the opposite. And it was, it was hard, and it made feeding so much more stressful because it was Let's do a blood test. Let's see how how he's looking. Okay, I'm feeding him enough. When it it was just it was crazy, and so the recovery I felt really I was very disconnected from my kids, and honestly, it was something that didn't didn't resolve, um, at least not for years, and so. I struggled hardcore with postpartum depression and anxiety and didn't even know what those things were and eventually came out of it. But when it was time for us to start talking about having our next baby, I was nervous just knowing how intense the recovery from the C-section was. I know some women who, who come home and they'll like start cleaning and cooking. I don't understand those amazing super moms. But me, the surgery takes it out of me so hard. And it was a long recovery. And especially with bringing one of the babies home with jaundice and Porter had to be in a light suitcase. And at first that was set up on the floor and then me trying to bend over, that totally didn't work. Anyway, it was just a lot. And I was nervous about going through all of that all over again. And mind you, we weren't sure if the twins thing was a freak accident or if I just released two eggs every time. So I remember going back to my old doctor once I was pregnant 
to start planning my next birth. And he's part of a rotating practice. And so it was one of his coworkers, the other OB, who was sitting and talking with me. And he looked through my charts and said, you'd be a fantastic candidate for a VBAC. And I said, a V what? And so he explained what that was. And I thought, okay, that's weird. And so I went home and I started researching. And it was like just this domino effect of one little thing led to a million more. And suddenly I was completely immersed in vaginal birth after cesareans and reading all these stories and looking at all these statistics and reading websites and going to the library. And I went to the library and it felt like I was just looking for the birth section and anything that I thought would be helpful, I just threw it off off the shelf into my cart and went home and read through everything. And so by the time I had my next appointment, I went back and started to plan the VBAC with the OB. And it's the same OB and he said, okay, well, just for safety purposes, we require you to have an epidural. And I thought, nothing I read has said that that is best practice. And I told him, well, my goal is to do it unmedicated. I'm trying to avoid as many interventions as possible, and that's where I would like to be in the unmedicated planning aspect of this. And he said, well, I mean, if you want to, I guess we could insert the catheter and then just not turn on the epidural, although I don't think know anybody who would ever do that. That's kind of weird. And so I said, thank you, and I left and started looking for a new doctor. Because honestly, after talking with him, it felt like he was planning on me to fail. And which was so weird because he's the one who turned me on to VBAC, but then to, I don't know, it was just, I wanted someone to be as confident in my body as I was. And I was giving birth in a hospital. So I felt like that was me saying, no, I understand that you're worried. Well, I'm here. Take care of me. But Anyway, I felt that there were too many restrictions with this practice. So I found Dr. Parker, and he is unfortunately retired, but he was a godsend while he was working. And I would label him as a gung-ho VBAC provider, like super excited about it. One of those doctors who is in it because he adores it and loves it and would stay afterwards some hours, some office hours to talk and process birth stories with women tr- trying to get their VBACs. And he was just incredible. And so I walk in and he totally believed in me. He knew I could do this. He saw no reason why I couldn't. He was just fine with me going unmedicated. And even when he handed me the liability forms, he's like, I have to ask you to sign this. He's like, but no, but let's talk about all the risks of this lists all the risks of VBAC, but let's talk about all the risks of multiple cesareans while you're busy signing that because that doesn't give you the whole story. And I just mm-hmm. loved how it was complete and total informed consent. That is so great. Not many women get that. <laughs> no, not at all. And so I, I remember going to a birth class and I was sh- shocked by all the incredible information I got from there. And that's where my mind started to get turned towards doula work too. (laughs) 
that there was so much to do. And so I was about 41 weeks when, well, just, no, two days shy of 41 weeks when I started to feel like I was potentially in labor. So I went to the hospital and my doctor had, Dr. Parker had given me his phone number and he said, call me when you're in labor. And so I went to the hospital and they took a look at my scans and said, okay, it doesn't look like you're in active labor. However, we're not thrilled with the heart decelerations we're seeing. So it doesn't look like you're going to get your V back today after all. And I smiled and said, thank you. And the nurse walked out and I pulled out my cell phone and I called Dr. Parker. And I did get a talking to for not having called before I went to the hospital. But it wasn't long before the nurse came back in and I could tell that she had gotten a talking to from him and she said I was free to go. And just so that I knew, it's not kind to bother doctors on their days off. (laughs) (laughs) So I went home and just two days later, actual labor started. And I remember waking up that morning about 5 a.m. and just feeling it deep, just, I don't know, deep in my pelvis. Like I could tell it was different. It wasn't a Braxton Hicks. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced a real contraction. And it just felt so powerful and so grounded. And I wasn't afraid, not even a little bit. And when my husband kissed me to go to work, I told him, like, I don't think you should, just so you know. He's like, oh, you call me when, when things get going. I'm like, all right, you do you, boo. <laughs> and so my mom was there with me, and we went and we walked around the mall when that opened up and um, just had a really calm day at home the rest of the day. And it is honestly my favorite memory from my birth experience is walking around my home, thinking about my baby, uh, calmly swaying and moaning through contractions. At one point, I decided I I needed to take a shower. I wanted my hair to look pretty. So I took a shower, and my mom could hear me singing in the shower, and then I'd stop and vocalize through a contraction, and then I'd start singing again. And she was just blown away. That was nothing of what any of her births had been like. And she'd never heard of anyone birthing. And here she was watching me do this. And then after the shower was done, I decided that um, I was going to take a bath, which now I know that does slow down early labor. <laughs> but I, I decided it just sounded perfect. So I took a bath and she brought me a plate of spaghetti. And again, she just sat there on the floor in the bathroom looking at me just saying, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> So after that, they started to pick up more, and I remember feeling like I needed to um, be on the bed, but then I wanted to be standing, but then I wanted to be leaning on the bed. And it was really weird at the time because every time I had a contraction, I was peeing myself, and I didn't even have a full bladder. I couldn't figure this out. But as soon as the contraction ended, I, I knew I had to go over to the bathroom and clean up, and then I'd come back. And then finally my mom looked at me and said, honey, have we thought about checking out what that pee looks like? Because I'm having a feeling that it might be your waters. (laughs) And sure enough, it was clear and sweet smelling and it was just like, oh, okay, that's what's happening. 
And so we laughed about that. And as I was vocalizing through some of the contractions, I remembered Delilah and Porter, they were three years old at the time, ran in. And they looked at me and started giggling and started mooing along with me. So then the three of us are mooing through my contractions. Why can I just picture that in my head? Like, (laughs) I can just see the three of you doing that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. There needed to be video. So when they started, when the contractions started getting three minutes to two and a half minutes apart, my mom got really uncomfortable. So we decided to drop the kids off with friends, and she took me to the hospital, and my husband met us there. And I was dilated to a three. So it was still very early labor, but they admitted me. And between my mom and my husband and our amazing nurse, who she just loved natural birth. And she told me that as soon as she walked in, she's like, I can hear the sounds of a natural birth going on in here. And she told me that she didn't have a whole lot of patients on the floor at that time, so she would be in with me as often as possible. And she doulaed me through a large portion of my labor. And so having that much support, I remember feeling so held, so important, so cared for, and so confident that everything was going to be okay. And there were times where I would zone out during a contraction and listen to music and then just start tearing up because it was, even though I was doing something so hard, it was such an empowering and beautiful experience. And after a while, um, I'd been there almost all night at that point, and I wasn't progressing as quickly. No, that wasn't it. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. So I reached transition, but I didn't know it was transition. And I thought, oh my goodness, if this is only as bad as early labor is and transition is more intense than this, I can't do it. (laughs) It's that I can't do it phase. (laughs) And so I asked for an epidural and I got all comfortable in my bed, but then Dr. Parker came in and explained your contractions have slowed down, which is normal when we, when we have an epidural and plus you're in bed. So we're going to start with a little bit of Pitocin. Are you okay with that? And I asked him to give me a minute and my husband and I talked about it and we decided very low levels, let's go ahead and start with that. So it was like 0.5 at the most, maybe 0.25. It was hardly anything. And so, but it was just enough to keep me consistent. But when they came back hours later, the nurse came in and said, hey, we're thinking about turning it up just a little bit more. Your labor still hasn't progressed as much. It's not to where we would like it to be. Um, There's nothing wrong with your laboring. It's not like it's not happening. It's just if we want, you know, we slowed it down by getting in bed, let's try and pick it up a little bit. And so I thought about it for a second. I said, would it be okay if instead of doing more Pitocin, we started doing some nipple stimulation. And she said, absolutely, that is a great idea. So, okay, how many contractions do you want to see per screen? She's like, we will get your baby in your arms if we're looking at about three per screen. Like, done, give me, give me the room. <laughs> and it totally worked just like that. I 
was able to control how many contractions I was having and watch the screen. And within an hour and a half, I was ready to push. And that was just really neat to be able to work with my body like that and bring, bring my baby, Elise, Earthside. And so the pushing, um, the epidural had worn off en enough to where I was able to really really help with the pushing. I remember being frustrated because the nurse, there was a nurse I, ha I hadn't met yet, and she kept telling me to hold my breath and push. So I remember being frustrated with her. I wanted to be like, well, you hold your breath and push. <laughs> <laughs> but Dr. Parker was wonderful. He, he told me um, that I was doing a fantastic job, and he, birthed, he helped me birth Elise, and he told me, he's like, hey, I know we wanted to do delayed cord clamping and you wanted her to be given directly to your chest. I'm going to give you to her. I'm going to give her to you for a minute or two while um, we wait for the placenta to be born. Well, we wait for the placenta to stop pulsating. He's like, but there was a little bit of meconium. And he's like, my instinct is telling me she just pooped on her way down the birth canal. Nothing's wrong, but we still need to go make sure she's okay. And I remember just feeling like so at peace. I'm like, okay. That's fine. So I held her for a minute and bonded with her, and she was the most beautiful baby I'd ever seen, and it was incredible, and I was crying, and she was so delightfully squishy. She was <laughs> nine pounds and four ounces. Wow. Yeah, and that's when I realized, okay, I just have big babies. I mean, my twins were six pounds, 11 ounces, eight pounds, and now she was nine pounds, four ounces, and I V-backed with a nine-pounder. It's totally doable. So he went and checked her out and everything checked out fine, like he said. And I remember just being so happy and getting wheeled into mother baby with her and loving the fact that my husband had to go home and be with the other kids because it meant I didn't have to share this new, beautiful little creature in my life with anybody. <laughs> I was totally in mama bear mode. I don't want to share. Don't touch her. Don't look at her. Don't breathe on her. I get to Good breathe Good for her. you. Good for you. Oh, it was so wonderful. And the nurses were so sweet. So they totally understood that and would ask before ever needing to do anything. And I remember one, one night I was there. It was probably about 3 a.m. And I saw a pair of nurses sneaking into the room because they could tell I was up nursing her. And they waited and, and they that they're chatting with me until I was done nursing and they told us like it's really quiet and we're a little bored um would you be okay if we took her for a bath while you slept <laughs> and so I laughed I was like she'd already had her first bath but okay so they took her for a bath and they came back into the room dying with giggles because she had thick black hair and they had made it into a faux hawk and put little bows in it, and they were just so proud of themselves. <laughs> but And then the other nurse, she found out I liked one of the juices they had, but they only came in small little cups. So she took my big water jug and filled it with probably 50 of those so that I could just have an endless supply. And it was just the best experience I could have ever hoped for. And so after that, when I got pregnant... The last time, um, Freya, she's my youngest and our last baby, it wasn't even a question of can we do this. It's where 
where was the question? And we decided to have her at home. And I had two wonderful doulas and my midwife and my husband. And the plan had been for my, for all my children, older children, to be there as well um, so that I could birth her in, birth Freya into the water and then the older kids would be there to be part of it but it got really intense really fast I yeah it was very intense very fast from the time that active labor began to the time she was born I would say it was about two and a half hours and it was one of those things where the midwife looks at me and says, I think if I break your waters, you're going to have your baby. But the question is, can we wait until you get to the tub <laughs> to have your baby? And so I almost had her in the hallway. And I remember the doula side of my brain going, oh, oh, that, that's, that's the sound a woman makes when she's pushing. You're about to have a, have a baby, dear. <laughs> and the other side of me saying, don't talk to me. I'm trying to get in the tub. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> Yes, you're, it's really interesting trying to duel yourself through your own birth. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> yes. And so we get in the water, and there isn't enough time to fill it up. So it's basically up to my calves. And I remember getting in and being so mad. It was so hot. At least that was my perception. It was probably just like bath water temperature. But to me, it felt like I was in a jacuzzi. And I was so angry. And so then my husband's running back, and now he's starting to throw ice cold water into it. And the midwife has to stop and said, the baby can't be born into ice water, unfortunately. And so I'm, like, leaning over the side of the tub begging him, please, oh, please, I'm dying. I need something colder. Can I at least have a glass of ice water to drink? And as he hands it to me, he can, like, tell there's a look in my eyes, like, Sandra? <laughs> it's... I was like three seconds away from taking the ice water and then just making eye contact with my midwife as I poured it into the tub. <laughs> but I decided to behave because I could understand her reasoning. And as baby was crowning, I remember, oh, this is the ring of fire. This is what everybody talks about. And I it wasn't even a question of could I do it because I'd already done it. And I had watched so many other women and helped so many other women do it by that point. It was the most primal and abandoned birthing I could have ever done. And just giving myself over to those natural instincts and not questioning it, it just it happened so quickly and so powerfully that instead it was more of me just annoyed with the process instead of being afraid of the process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why it happened so quickly is I've, I really feel like I just kind of opened everything up and said, just go. And so she, she did. She dropped like a bowling ball. Midwife told me I needed to slow things down or I was going to tear. So I did. I, I, I called on the law of sphincters. and slowed everything down and she was born into the water and I held her and I I could tell I was in a little bit of shock but I was okay with that because shock is fine 
I need to make sure baby's safe. And so the midwife was busy taking care of her, making sure I was okay. And then eventually we got transferred over to the bed. And once everyone left, I felt like I could finally just release. And I just sobbed and sobbed because that was so powerful. And there were so many emotions. And some of it, some of them negative, some of them wonderful. And it was just shedding all of that, that this huge, I had climbed my mountain and now I was there on the other side holding this baby and feeling like, oh my gosh, all that really did just happen. And this baby was nine pounds, two ounces, and also born at 41 weeks. And she was born on our wedding anniversary. So it felt... The, the symmetry of it was just beautiful to me. The fact that the day that we started our family was also the day that we closed our family circle. So that's our story. That's such a great story. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. I, I don't think I've heard all of the details that way before. And I really like how you had three different births in three different locations and they were all completely... Well, different. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really did it one of each way, right? The only thing missing was the birth center, but I'm done with the baby, so somebody else can do that. Yeah, birth center and home, pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Cassandra, when you, were ta- when you were sharing your home birth story, you, you mentioned the law of sphincters, and I think that's kind of a great idea, or it's a great way to call it. I'd never heard it called that before, but why don't you explain to everybody um, just a little V-back tip or a birthing tip. You don't even have to be V-back. Just a, um, any type of vaginal birth. And Cassandra here is going to let us know what that means and how it can help you guide your baby out. Okay. Well, the law of sphincters is a phrase coined by the wonderful Ina Mae Gaskin. And she uses that to explain the, how you can the way that the tension in your body um, correlates with the birth of your baby. So she uses an example um, when you yell or scream, you feel your throat tighten up as opposed to when you're making low moaning sounds, then you feel your throat loosen. And it's the same thing in your, I think she, her, her phrasing is in your bum. (laughs) But it's using that knowledge that, okay, that's why so many women use the moaning sounds when they're trying to do an, a natural unmedicated birth because they need to let go. They need to relax those muscles. Your cervix needs to relax and open. And when we're afraid, when we're clenching, when we're, using, when we're making high-pitched noises, all the sphincters in our body, those muscles that, need, that contract and open, they tighten. And when you're trying to get a baby out of you, having them tighten doesn't help. Now, where I needed to slow things down, purposely choosing to tighten them by, instead of low moaning, I started yelling. That was what slowed things down there. But it's pretty cool when you learn that your body is this incredible tool to use and that there are so many ways to work with it to birth our babies. Thank you. That was a really great explanation. Um, when I was first 
um, learning all about natural birth and things like that, everyone would always tell me, oh, just make low sounds, low sounds. Low sounds are, are good and high sounds are not as good. But I think that that's kind of detrimental because sometimes your body does need to slow down. Something Sometimes something's not quite right. And so those high higher shrill noises might be an instinctive way of your body saying, okay, hold on, let's slow down a minute. Um, unless those, of course, unless those high shrill sounds are coming out of a place of fear, um, yes. then that might be bad. But if you're just doing what your body's telling you to do and just kind of letting things happen, um, it's a great way to just follow your intuition and, and uh, let your body do things the way it was intended to do. Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> You're welcome. For our readers out there, we have our main company website. It's called utahvbacklink.com backslash blogs. You can find all sorts of VBAC facts and information there. So go ahead and take a look at our blog, subscribe to our podcast, and we will catch you next episode. We are always looking for more inspiring stories. To share your story or possibly be on one of our podcasts, post on social media with the hashtag #WhyWeVBack and tag at the VBack link or contact us from our website. Be sure to rate us and share and leave your reviews. We are excited to hear what you think. For families local to Utah, be sure to check out our website, utahvbacklink.com, for more information on our VBAC childbirth classes and doula services. Thank you so much for listening. We are excited for you to begin your journey with us.